This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I am here. I got a good day yesterday. Got out of work and then I got a bunch of cocoa mulch and I dragged it even though the parking lot was closed because they were delivering mulch because like this is mulch weekend and everybody is out mulching. But I got in there and I pushed a shopping cart all the way through the closed parking lot like a warrior. That's what I was, a warrior of mulch. I got home, put in the crabapple tree that I bought myself on Mother's Day that has been just sadly getting knocked over by the wind all the time in my backyard. I got it in the ground finally. Yes, that is because this summer is starting now. You know what happens after summer? Fall. That's when we eat mushrooms a lot. <laughs> and so here's what. I am a summer warrior bringing you the future. I'm bringing you the news of the future. And do you know what's going to happen in the future? Well, for one thing, the giant Schmidt Brewery on 7th Street is going to turn into the keg and case marketplace, a thing that I'm very, very curious about. It's going to have restaurants. It's going to have an ice cream parlor. It's going to have a mushroom Store, a mushroom store, you say? I'd like to hear more about that. You will hear more about that right now. I've got Mike Kempenick here. So he has been a figure in the Twin Cities for a while. He's a man behind the company Gentleman Forager, and they're opening the first retail wild foods grocery called Forest to Fork. Forest to Fork. It's coming at the Keg and Case West 7th Market in St. Paul, it is going to feature exotic mushrooms grown in the store. You don't have this. See, I'm bringing you news of the future. And then also some foraged foods that may come up from northern Minnesota, come down from northern Minnesota, like wild greens, nuts, nuts. Think about it. You're going to have wild harvested nuts for Thanksgiving maybe, berries, some wild rice, all of these things, it's supposed to open late summer. The person who's bringing you this is Mike Kempenick. He is also an expert in the cloning and cultivation of wild mushrooms. He's an instructor for the University of Minnesota and the University of Wisconsin uh, Extension Services Wild Mushroom Certification Situation. And on June 3rd, he's having an event called the Wild Food Fandango where you can go get a, a big mouthful of the future. But more importantly, he's here right now. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jared. Great to be here. All right. How? Why? How did this all happen? Who are you? Why are, who you, are you? Why are you? What are you here for? So <laughs> tell me a little about yourself. Where'd you, where are you from? Well, I'm a Minnesota boy. Grew up uh, born and raised in uh, Brooklyn Park and um, really spent most of my time in, in the business sector for about 17 years. I was an executive recruiter here in town. Another what? executive oh, yeah. recruiter in the food space? This keeps happening. It's, uh, That's what Kieran Foyard was yeah. doing before he'd been the local and two gingers and everything. Absolutely. Very interesting. All right. And, uh, yeah, I, I, my line that I like to use because it's true is I had a boss who gave me an opportunity to look for a new opportunity. And I found myself in the woods uh, sort of wondering what I was going to do with my life. And 
But you grew up not in the IDS Tower. Where did you? Where did no, you? I grew up in, in Brooklyn Park uh, when it was a, an emerging suburb. We were on one, I think we had one block. I know we had one block, and then we had woods. So I, I had the luxury as a young boy of being able to spend my summers, especially in the in the woods, from sun up to sundown. And oh, really? And, See, uh, I came to Minnesota long after Brooklyn Park had lost his great tracts of woods. So what? What do you? What was in there? Like streams? Well, that's what got me interested in mushrooms. Really, I would go out with my father, and we'd pick morels, and there was a lot of wild asparagus that would grow around, and and uh, that was really sort of uh, what what got me excited about being in the outdoors. And, of course, uh, my folks are from up north, so we did a lot of fishing and hunting up north. So you know, Where up north? I know some Cross pe- Lake and Pequot. Oh, yeah. okay. Shout out to Cross Lake and Pequot. <laughs> uh, so your parents are from up there. They came down here. They taught you the ways of the mushroom. The wily ways, yeah. And then you thought, I should recruit some executives. All right, <laughs> but then you came back to the light. And uh, when did you... Tell me about this whole gentleman forager because yeah. I feel like this has been on the edge of my consciousness for many years. What what is what is it? When did you start it? Well, gentleman forager is the the sort of the stage two of what I originally started, which was called the mycology store, spelled M Y C O, so meaning the study of mushrooms. And we cultivated wild Minnesota mushrooms for the restaurants here in town year round. How did you cultivate them? I'm very. I'm going to bring you into the 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 uh, details of this. I have seen mushroom cultivation that is logs leaning in the woods. I have seen mushroom cultivation that is like sterilized sawdust in a mist chamber and you put on a big E.T., you know, scientist white outfit and go in there in in that. Uh, What are you talking about? You tried cultivating mushroom. What kind of mushroom cultivation were you doing? A lot like the second you described. Oh, so the full science with the... With the reverse vacuum air and yeah, all that crazy. Yeah. Like... We'd, we'd go out in the woods and we'd find a really perfect specimen of whatever mushroom we wanted to grow. And we'd bring it back to a small lab we had where we would clone that and grow it out and transfer that to different types of substrate. Until Was you... this like in your basement? Was this in a warehouse well, somewhere? Well, funny. I actually recruited uh, one of my good friends uh, to give up basically half of his basement and his garage for me to sort of do a proof of concept here. So his uh, his basement became our lab, and his garage became our small fruiting chamber, <clears throat> and um, that was where we kind of got started. We were took us a few months to kind of dial things in and, and figure out uh, a few tricks, but ultimately we were successful. Because this whole situation is hectic, right? Because that's part of the thing about fungi and mushrooms. They're around. We just don't see them. We don't have, we don't have microscope eyes. So Absolutely. you have to make a sterile environment so you're not growing a cousin of what you're trying to grow. Right. We don't want any other fungus competing with the delicious one we're growing. So how do you build a sterile chamber in your buddy's basement? Well, looking back, I sort of smile and chuckle because, you know, you can get by with things if you're just sort of doing proof of concept. But, you know, when you scale and you're really fulfilling large scale uh, type quantities, um, it becomes increasingly more important that you have. It's very much like a clean room environment you might find in a hospital. So you're just throwing up a budget sanitary board everywhere. And, and of course, the humidity levels have to be maintained at about 92 percent constantly. So a lot of specialized equipment, specialized materials to build the chamber that aren't going to be or that are going to be impervious to the, to the water and the sort of the environment that we're creating. All right, so you're creating this kind of sterile ET phone home, scary scientist chamber in your buddy's basement. That already tells me that you weren't dragging logs from the woods no. into that. 
No, although that's, you know, that definitely is um, something that we'll probably be doing. There are certain mushrooms that that's an effective um, form of cultivation. But for us, we want, uh, in part, uh, the visual aspect of it is, just as you're implying, it's very Willy Wonka-like. And um, to have that uh, sort of in front of people to, to educate people on where do mushrooms come from, how do they grow, and uh, develop more interest in, in mushrooms in general is something we're pretty excited about. So this is like 10 years ago you got this crazy chamber? About eight years ago. Yeah. Eight years ago. All right. And then you started taking the mushrooms around to different restaurants? Correct, yeah. First uh, first restaurant I brought them to was uh, was Sameh Wadi at uh, Saffron. I I knew nobody in the restaurant business. I knew no chefs. I had no experience, and I remember walking up to him with a— And you just thought, Middle Eastern food, that's where I'm going to start. You know, I don't know why I started there. I, I might have looked at the price point on their menu. That could have been it. <laughs> and I figured, yeah, they could probably. Uh, and they looked like they were doing some really cool food, and I thought, hey, they'll probably be interested in this because who else has fresh oyster mushrooms available in the middle of January in Minnesota? Um, so I brought him over, and, and Samay came out, and he kind of picked up the lid and looked at him, and he looked at me and looked back at him, and, and he told me, those are really sexy. <laughs> and, I, and I thought, oh, I might, this, babe, this I might be onto something here, you know. Um, yeah, and it's, it's, we've just grown from there. It's been uh, the, the industry here in town in general, the restaurants in town, all the chefs we work with have been incredibly supportive of us. Yeah, we have the one secret power in Minnesota, which was that uh, long about, I'm going to guess, 1850, the people that wrote the Constitution wrote in that people have a right to just sell agricultural produce. We have that God-given or legislature-given right. to, to And it has, it has had amazing repercussions. I've seen so many uh, people kind of start up businesses just like you, like you talked about. Okay, so that was the origin story. You started GentlemanForager.com. You have – different classes, uh, tours. You help city slickers such as myself learn to see the difference between a pile of leaves and a pile of morels. Um, and now you're getting – you're biggering. You're getting bigger. <laughs> you're going to have forest to fork in the in the keg and case complex. What is this going to be like exactly? Like I'm going to walk into this – I'm going to park somehow. I'm going to walk into one of the biggest buildings in the history of the state and then what? Well, uh, it is really a spectacular development I have to say. I've, I've been working with Keg and Case on our end for a couple of years now. So it's, it's, uh, it's been fun to see it take shape. But really uh, I like to describe it as a, as a, you know, a destination like Disney World for foodies. Um, so it's a combination of some restaurants and prepared food type scenarios, but a lot of it is just very unique food products that you just can't find at your regular grocery store. Um, you know, the best baker, the best coffee, the best chocolate, the best mushrooms, things like that. So, uh, being able to go to a one-stop destination that has virtually anything you can imagine to take home for your culinary delights is, uh, is I think number one, there's nothing like it. And, uh, and for people like myself, or I think anybody who's interested in food and does some cooking, um, I mean, it's 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 really a, an incredible venture that's going on, and it's a it's a place that's going to have a lot of excitement. You know, it's got an outdoor venue to it with a park and lots of activities going on, like our event and, and other future events to come. There's a, a band a stage being built for for music acts that come in and so forth. So, it's a place that'll have a lot of activity, and and really, uh, I think is just going to be a fantastic venue for for the neighborhood and for St. Paul and for Minnesota. Amazing. And so Forest to Fork itself, it's not just like a little cubby hole with some shelves. What is it going to be? Well, when you walk in, you're going to see a 14-foot tall glass fruiting chamber complete with this 
really cool lighting scenario that's going to be dancing around and and a sort of a cool misty fog where we'll be growing several species of mushrooms. Um, uh, the products that we sell are much broader than I think people realize. We have probably uh, you know well over a hundred types of wild greens that we we uh, sell. We have um, oh fifty probably species of wild mushrooms we sell. When you say that that you're going to have all these wild greens, what does that mean? Like somebody's going up to, to you know Pequot and slicing them up, or does it mean that you're growing uh, wild mustard in a in in a Greenhouse. Uh, no, it would mean that, like, we have our uh, foragers here locally. We have foragers in California, Washington, Oregon. California? Uh, place, yeah, California. I don't want no California foragers. <laughs> well, the thing about Minnesota is we have snow. <laughs> but the great thing is I the noticed. Pacific Northwest is really the opposite, almost exactly the opposite season as ours. So when our foraging ends here in Minnesota about November, their season is just beginning, and that enables us to keep year-round supplies of, of these wild products for people. But to answer your question, uh, for most people, things they might think of as a wild green might be like fiddlehead ferns that are very popular in the springtime now, or you know, wild ramps, which is a type of leek that uh, they grow wild. Uh, but there's a plethora of wild plants that people are probably less familiar with, things like miner's lettuce. Uh, and, and, you know, many, many more that, that people probably have never heard of but are, are super delicious, are full of micronutrients, are incredibly healthy for you. And in my mind, it really goes back to when I first started formulating the idea in my mind about why can't I buy these products in a store? And at first it was mushrooms, but after mushrooms it was, you know, well, why can't I buy ramps in a store or fiddleheads in a store? And, um, and so that's, that's really been our goal, to be able to bring those products to the general public and offer them in a way that it's affordable. You know, now if you walk around town and you might see a, a, a bin of morels $50 there. $50, a, 50 pound. a pound. And people think to themselves, my God, who the heck buys $50 a pound mushrooms? But if you put a serving size of those mushrooms in a container and it's $8, well, suddenly that's a really great treat for dinner tonight. Um, and I, so I think a lot of it is just education. You don't need $50 worth of morels to have a fantastic dinner. You only probably need about $8 worth of morels. So... Uh, being able to offer them in those increments that people can take home and utilize just like any other item on their grocery list is is exciting to us. Okay, so I'm going to walk into Keg and Case. There's going to be a 14-foot glass wall. Or, I'm forest. Let me try that again. I'm going to walk into Forest to Fork, which is going to be inside Keg and Case. Um, there's going to be a 14-foot glass wall fruiting chamber. And on the other side of that fruiting chamber – and just word to average people, which I used to be a week ago. Uh, a fruit, y'all people call fruit call mushrooms fruits. Nobody knows why, but the the mushroom is like the body that you can't see, and the mushroom that we eat is the fruit of such a thing. Absolutely correct. All right, so I'm gonna walk in. I'm gonna see this fruiting chamber. It will not have apples and oranges, but it will have. King mushrooms? What will it have? Uh, king oysters are, are one we'll probably grow. Certainly a standard oyster is one, but other mushrooms are a little more exotic. Lion's mane is a really delicious mushroom. Oh, I've seen that. It's yeah. fuzzy like a poodle. Yeah, it's it looks cute. like a pom-pom kind of. Yeah. actually makes you smarter when you eat it. Uh, I need that. It has short-term effects, though, so you have to keep eating it. <laughs> um, but uh, foliota, uh, shiitake, I mean, there's a number of options uh, of what we choose to grow, and we'll probably change that out. We'll have two or three growing at any given time and kind of mix that up to keep it interesting for people. You're going to get some field trips of children. We All right. So. <laughs> and then give me one more minute, and then we got to take a commercial break here. But So I'm going to see this fruiting chamber. There's going to be the opportunity to purchase these 
mushroom fruits that I can see. And then you're also just going to, is it going to be like a Lunds? Like there's going to be those kind of refrigerator cases and in those are going to be fiddlehead ferns and wild hazelnuts. And Very similar. Yeah. I mean, refrigerated display cases with, uh, again, it's, it's, I love going grocery shopping. It's one of my favorite things to do, but the products we have are products you just can't find in your regular grocery store. Um, and you know, in addition to that, of course, we're all about foraging in the outdoors. And so we have a lot of products that are meant to help people and, uh, make them better foragers, smarter foragers, whether that's books or walking sticks or, or uh, you know, things that go along with the with, uh, tools of the trade, so to speak. This is just fascinating. All right, we're going to come back. We're going to get some more time with Mike Kempinick, who's bringing this big uh, forest-to-fork store to the coming keg and case market. I bring you news of the future, and I'm going to bring you more of it when we come back. Dara here. When I am not writing for Minneapolis St. Paul magazine or planting crab apple trees in my yard, a chestnut crab apple, a proud University of Minnesota variety. Thank you for texting in and asking. Uh, yes, I'm going to have chestnut crab apples that I grew in probably two to four years. I don't know. <laughs> so stay tuned. But uh, for now, we're going to continue our conversation with Mike Kempinick. He's the man behind the gentleman forager. He's bringing this very interesting place called Forest of Fork. It's going to be a mushroom grower, a wild food store in that big keg and case exchange that is taking over the old Schmidt Brewery. Uh, when will I stop calling it the old Schmidt Brewery and just only call it keg and case? We'll see. We will see. It's such a landmark. But uh, so he's going to open late this summer, hopefully before Labor Day. No one knows. A lot of moving parts over there that you don't control. But let me ask, uh, I've got a just so many questions, and I, I feel like I could just talk to you all day. But here's what here's one of the many things I want to know. So you're going to have these different species in there, and you're also going to have foraged morels and chanterelles. What do you see? What do you think is going to happen in Minnesota? And first of all, I should get your uh, – I did want to ask you this. Obviously, the morel is kind of the state mushroom at this point. Everybody just loves them to bits. But what are other mushrooms that we should try? If you're like a morel lover, you spend the big bucks on the risotto at the restaurant, which I do. I do that. I'm happy to do that. I know how much work goes into it. Very happy to pay my 22 bucks for uh, risotto so that somebody else can spend all day in the woods. But you tell me, like, what are the other mushrooms that are kind of underrated? Well, yeah, that's, you know, most people really, when you talk about wild mushrooms, that's really kind of all they think about. They're they're usually rather surprised to find out the morels are a very short window, usually a couple, three weeks at most in the spring. Um, but the mushroom season in Minnesota really goes from about the 1st of July until a couple of hard freezes. So I'm often foraging up until maybe even the first week of November. Uh, and you really, you get out there. You're not just like foraging uh, around Lake of the Isles, like you drove, you drive up almost to Canada. Yeah, I, you know, to be able to commercially forage here in Minnesota, number one, you have to, you can only forage commercially on private land, so your choices are limited to those options that you have available to you. But you know, northern Minnesota is um, is just a perfect environment. We have almost every one of the same mushrooms that the Pacific Northwest has, um, really, until last year. Uh, it was thought that Matsutake mushrooms only grow in the Pacific Northwest, uh, which is a very prized mushroom. Very, the world expensive. Over. very expensive in Japan. Right? They, they pay a big dollars. Of dollars a pound, right? 
Um, but Gentleman Forager was able to find matsutake here in Minnesota. Just wild growing? Yeah, wild growing. You right. didn't, like, plant them out there? We did not, no. Uh, in fact, we brought the first ones ever picked in Minnesota to Spoon and Stable, who, who prepared them for, for several dishes that year. And um, you did not call me with this news. I, I Well, I, I should have. You're right. Yeah. Next time, yeah. <laughs> that's pretty cool. All right, so you, uh, so matsutake, oh, that's rare. Chanterelles, black trumpets, uh, I was thinking that chanterelles are the the underrated because they do oh, have a pretty a name, but mushroom. people I think assume when you see them on a menu that it's chanterelle powder and it came from France. Yeah, no, and you know the really great part, and me and my crew laugh about it often is because we see the chanterelles that come from the Pacific Northwest, and of course we know what we pick. And it's really night and day. The, the chanterelles here in Minnesota are really aesthetically a much more beautiful mushroom, and there's this deep egg yolk yellow color to it. Um, people are surprised to find that the smell that comes from fresh chanterelles is is apricot. It's fruity, which usually puzzles people. You don't think of a mushroom smelling like a fruit. Um, and the taste is a bit fruity as well. I mean, it's a super delicious mushroom. And I it's rare that I've met anybody who eats a chanterelle and doesn't think that's a really delicious mushroom. Yeah, I have probably only discovered really good ones in the last decade. And, and it's worth seeking out like if you can Absolutely. find the places that... That take that that buy from foragers such as yourself. All right, so you're going to open this market. What do you think is going to happen? Are we, you know, average home cooks? Are we going to start cooking mushrooms more often? Are we going to eat more mushrooms? I think people will, and at least you know the feedback we get is, wow, that's fantastic. I, you know, we don't have anything like that. I would love to do that. I just don't know where I would buy that. And so being able to, to offer those products to, to the general public and educate them to, to see them, again, as the same sorts of products they buy at any other store. It's just another option they have. Um, and it's a healthier option. As people think about, um, you know, as sort of the, the moods have changed here as far as food in, in Minnesota and the nation generally, people are a little more conscious about where their food's coming from. Uh, they want to stay local and fresh and organic, hopefully, and there's absolutely nothing more organic than something that's being picked from the wild and delivered to you in 24 hours. Yeah, I have it's been a great mystery to me for many years, and regular listeners of the show hear me complain about this all the time. I never understand why you would buy some weird corporate extruded bizarro flour and oil veggie burger when you could have a mushroom, <laughs> you could just take a big portobello and grill it because that's del- that's just singly delicious. A couple of years ago, I think I was writing about Mississippi Mushrooms, which is another local mushroom company, and and I just ended up with a bunch of king mushrooms and kind of spent half a day trying to figure out what's the best way to eat these and how they are. And, I, of course, I think everybody does this where you kind of try all different things and you just come to – Fried in butter. The fried in butter is the winning thing. But these uh, these king oyster mushrooms, they are huge. They're like the size of your hand. And you can make, you know, very interesting big shapes with them. You can make sticks or you could make, you know, discs or you can make all kinds of things. And then if you, you fry them in butter, like they're as, they're as good as sweetbreads. Like they are delicious. Yeah, super good mushroom. And like you said, it has a lot of options to it. I'm making like a faux scallop. Um, chopping up on the stem, and it's the texture is a lot like abalone. Um, it's, yeah, it's a it's a super delicious mushroom, and again, they're all really healthy. They're all providing micronutrients that really you're not getting from from your, um, a typical diet. And that's true, even if they're growing in kind of a you know straw in a box. It's like it's not out in the woods getting nutrient 
nests and whatever micro blah 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 from from the woods. It's getting it can they're good for you even if they're just growing in sawdust in a box. Yeah, I mean we're really providing them the same food. I put that in quotations um, that they're getting in the woods. So you have some mushrooms that uh, their food source is the lignin and the cellulose in dead and dying wood. So they're they're actually consuming all of the dead wood in the forest, anything that's made up of lignin and cellulose. And you have other mushrooms like chanterelles or morels. Uh, that are mycorrhizal, they have a, a close association with a particular tree. So that's why we find morels around elm trees here uh, south. Um, and so they're, they're two different types, but, uh, but yeah, they're all, they're all uh, uh, tasty. We just can't cultivate the mycorrhizal ones. We can only cultivate those that are eating the lignin and cellulose. Right. Unless we can figure out a way to get a tree in the chamber, but we haven't figured that out yet. I think you will. You have the room. We're working on it. (laughs) (laughs) The old Schmidt Brewery is that big. All right. So the last thing, if people are just like rising up in their chairs, like I've got to get in on this. I've got experience. But before it opens, June 3rd, the Wild Food Fandango, 14 local chefs. What is it? What is this Wild Food Fandango? Well, this is another uh, celebration of all things wild. And uh, I'm super excited to have, you know, 14 of the best chefs here in town uh, coming out and competing to create uh, the crowd's favorite wild food themed dish. Um, Everybody's, all of the chefs are selecting from a list of ingredients uh, from Gentleman Forager, uh, as well as uh, Peterson Craftsman Meats and um, the Herbivorous Butcher. Uh, So everybody's on the same playing field and they can, uh, they can, create their dish and you, the, uh, the attendee can step up and, and have a taste of each of these. And in the end, we want everybody voting and find out, uh, who's going to take home that fabulous golden morel trophy. And where is it? Where is it happening? It's happening directly adjacent to the Keg and Case Market. Uh, if you go to Oktoberfest, it's the same location there, right oh. on West 7th. And there's uh, tons of free parking. It's very easy to get to. I can go push my face against the the building you and try can, to look can, inside. You can take a peek around the building and see what you see. Absolutely. We've got four great bands coming to play for us. Uh, we've got uh, gypsy jazz musician Sam Miltich, who's quite a phenom in that arena. And we've got uh, Frog Leg and Black River Review and Dirt Train. It's going to be a, a really fantastic time. And then after the competition, uh, we've got, some vendors coming that are going to be, you know, selling some really fabulous, again, wild-themed dishes. So anything from morels on a stick to... Uh, morels on a morels stick? Morels on a stick to morel cotton candy by Spinning Wild. Uh, Is that good? Oh, it's... We were... I was just out tasting it uh, this past week, and I've had it before, but it's been a couple of years. And I have to tell you, it is... Like, if you didn't tell anybody what it, what that ingredient was... I'm telling you, it's delicious. How do you spin them guys around into a floss? What are you talking about? Like they take well, a- we we develop uh, what we call Gentleman Forager's Soul of Shroom, which is a liquid essence of the mushroom. And that liquid essence is used to combine with sugar to make the cotton candy. I like the sound of this. I'm glad you're playing in this bizarre way. I approve of this wholeheartedly. If you, dear listener, want to get in on the ground floor, go to Wild Fango. Wild? Food, wildfoodfandango.com, wildfoodfandango.com. And then you can get tickets and you can be among the first to get into this whole situation. And that would be amazing. I, I'm very excited about all of this. Oh, we're, we, I can't tell you how excited we are. We're like uh, kids waiting for Christmas for the past, especially now that we're close to being finished with the build out. Oh, I cannot wait to see it. All right. Well, Mike Kempinich from. Gentlemen, Forager, thank you so much for giving me this uh, all this information. I am just, this is going to be the biggest thing in the world.
Thanks in August or September when you get open. <laughs> I can't wait. All right, everybody, when we come back, I've got some recipes for you with, yes, morels. They are very cool, and I will tell you about them. They are already up at WCCORadio.com slash Dara, D-A-R-A. All right, more when we come back. Morels. Dara, you have a cult fascination with morels. I love it when people start to start sending me pictures of their morels, Facebook pictures. Twitter pictures. Send me send me pictures of morels. I get bored. I need to see these things. So I am on the Twitter bot at Dear Dara. I am on Facebook at Dara Grumdahl. And you think, well, I don't have prize morels. I don't care. I like to see all morels. What am I what do I do all day? Just sit around typing, waiting for, for you to enliven my life. All right, so what are the top five morel mushroom recipes that are up at WCCORadio.com slash Dara? What are they? All right. We're not ranking them anymore. We're beyond that. Now that we're intercom, we're just, it's, we believe in equality. So these are, these are what the five are. Yeah, I've got your butter braised morels and asparagus. That is a recipe I put up a couple weeks ago. We were talking about asparagus. I keep making it. I keep making it, and so should you. If you have not looked at that recipe yet, What are you doing with your time? Butter, asparagus, morels. That's all you need to know in life. And then you can put it with a nice Chardonnay. And then you won. You just won the whole thing. Another option for you. All right. I found kind of a fussy recipe that I like, though. It's a beef with bacon and morels. You know, it's the whole, like, the tenderloin medallions wrapped in bacon. We don't really do that that much anymore, but... You can take the basic idea, which is morels, bacon, and a good Madeira wine. Pan sauce, that is just, that is what is good. And you put that on a steak. Do that. Treat yourself. Then I have a kind of an unusual, get you out of your, if you're just like busting out, you got so many morels, you don't know what to do because you're the king. Uh, How about morels with black bean sauce? So this is, you know, you get a jar of fermented black bean sauce. You could do so much with that. A little chili pepper, some shallots. It's like a whole different experience. It's so, um, it just brings out a meatiness that is different, just totally different. Very, very good. Think about it. Then Alan Burgo, the chef who used to run Lucia's, he put up on his website, foragerchef.com, a roast chicken with morel mushroom sauce, and this is the French treatment. So you've got some thyme, some stock, some butter, putting your morels with that. Chicken, come on. That's who are you? You're the king and the queen. You're all of it. You're the king of all things in the forest. And then the last recipe I present to you is uh, Hank Shaw, that, that good old forager. He's kind of famous. He's got the website honestfood.net. So he put up a morel risotto recipe that is just uh, my feelings about morel risotto. Like they're very passionate. They're maybe too passionate for there. I love morel risotto. Come on. That is amazing stuff. If I had one desert island meal of morels, which would be crazy because desert islands don't have morels. They just have one coconut tree and everybody knows that. But if... They also had small forest with some elm trees. 
and a way to make risotto. This would be the meal that I would have. It's so subtle, so meaty. Come on. That's just a great, that's a great thing. It's an amazing thing. All of these recipes are up. You can go look at them and have tingly, special feelings about loving morels. And then when we come back, I will answer your questions. We got a luxurious and nice ask me anything question. I got a question about the best Danish smorebrod. You got questions for me? 81807, and I will answer them when we come back. Tara here. All right, well, the text line stuff isn't coming up quite yet, but we'll hold up. We'll hold hope. Until that point, I will answer some questions that came in kind of during the week. All right, I got one through Twitter. A lovely individual took a trip to Denmark. Jealous on that. Came back looking for the best smorebrod. So smorebrod, and you can forgive my pronunciation. That'd be an open-faced sandwich to you and me. Uh, As they have in Denmark, where are the best? Well, I feel very confident that the answer is the Bachelor Farmer Cafe. So that's, you know, the Bachelor Farmer kind of turned into a legendary restaurant right there on the river by the sons of the governor, Mark Dayton. And they do, they opened this little coffee shop out front. It's so cute in there. And then they have just an ever-changing array of sandwiches. I have had Gravlox there that is just like, Perfect. This is sweet and um, silky and fresh and this is everything you want. They do. They've done salmon sandwiches that are open faced. Uh, just a very lovely egg salad in the Danish tradition. All kinds of good stuff. So that would be my number one would be a Bachelor Farmer Cafe. And if you want to make more abroad at home, more home style, Ingebretsen's. Get on over to our classic heritage Lake Street Market Ingebretsen's open since, I forget, 1919, 1920, one of those. Uh, I love that place. And they have all of those um, little squirty fish pastes and stuff that the Danes like so much. So you get your little tube of caviar cream cheese-ish stuff and you can just spread that right on a piece of pumpernickel that you also get there. You're living like a, a Dane at home. They have all the good cheeses, all the different herrings making me hungry. I love Ingebretsen's herring. Hooray for herring. All right, I got a question, Joe, from uh, from my Facebook. Joe sent me a message. He said his daughter is getting married, and he's wondering about Stillwater area vineyard weddings. All right, so here's the situation. First, congratulations. You got a daughter getting married. That's fun. Uh, second, I, I don't – there are a couple usual suspects, places – Chateau Saint Croix, uh, Saint Croix, whatever Chateau Saint Croix and Saint Croix Vineyards, they are you know great. I don't have anything bad to say about them. Lovely, beautiful, fun places to be. Um, you know, I don't have a, another one to pull out of my sleeve. Just the well-known ones of Stillwater are the ones. But I do like some other places that are not in Stillwater. Nan Bailey's Alexis Bailey Vineyard down in Hastings. You think, oh, Hastings is a suburbs. No, Hastings is also a big, beautiful farm. Uh, so that's a beautiful one. And, I, you know, she's got my favorite wine in the state. I do think she is a genius. But there are also breweries. You could get married at the Liftbridge Brewery in Stillwater. I know this happens, which is kind of unusual, but it does. And then on the west side of town, it's not just Stillwater. You can also go west. Uh, there's a place called Parley Lake. Very beautiful. Very good for wine. Very good for weddings. 
Um, so yeah. So in in the end, congratulations. Amazing. All right, I got a question, which is why do people drink rosé in the spring? More wine questions. Uh, that would be because that's when the rosé is released. The stuff was grapes in the fall. They do a very fast fermentation. Some other stuff that was grapes in the fall takes a couple years until it gets to market. But the you know after that kind of stunt wine and the Beaujolais Nouveau that comes out in the fall, the rosé is the first wine. So you'll be seeing a bunch of 2017s around. I have tasted some myself, and they will not be good uh, next Thanksgiving. So that's part of the thing is that first we drink them because it's exciting. Then we drink them because uh, it's discounted because I got to move them out. So that's a, that's the the rosé in the spring situation, and I do love that. All right. What do we got going on next week? These are the questions that we must answer. Oh, next week we have um, – oh, we've got a really exciting – guest Nico Tonks from Fair State. All of these wild yeast people, we have this big movement in the state, people calling themselves bacteria farmers. Like they're very interested in how these wild yeasts that just live around us, how they make flavor in food. So thinking about things like sour beer, sour pickles, sourdough bread, why do they taste that way? So tune in next week. We'll kind of get to the bottom of that. Um, but uh, till next week, I... Uh, I hope that the squirrels stay out of your vegetable garden and that the vegetables stay out of your squirrels. And I will see you here next week on Off the Menu. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.